Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. Um, as I said, we're going to continue on in worship uh, with our tithes and our offerings. So we're going to be uh, passing baskets. There's some in the front row there. You can pass those back. You can also go to citybeautiful.ch slash give, and you can set up giving there. Uh, and I think the easiest way is you can just text this phone number, um, and it'll be a one-time setup. And then after that, it's automatic. It's really easy and convenient. Um, but blessings upon the inline endeavors for participating in that. Um, so we're in this series called Love and Translation, and we're asking this, this question, what does it look like um, for us and who we are to translate the love of God to the world as it actually stands today? And part of our hope in this is that we're redeeming some ideas for many of us that have maybe, maybe the church has sold short, ideas like evangelism or missions or whatever it might be. Um, and one of the things that I've loved so much in this series is that we've had people come up who are, who are living this out. They're in the avant-garde. They're kind of on the front lines, and they're speaking out of the authority of what they know because they're experiencing it, that they're learning how God has crafted them in their stories and their personalities and their gifts to be able to translate God's love uh, in some really specific ways. Uh, And tonight, I'm really excited because one of our nearest and dearest, Nicole Ponder, is going to be coming up to share the good word if you give her a round of applause. Um, Nicole's been part of our community for a while. She has a tremendous amount of wisdom, and we're both pastor's kids, so we immediately bonded over the the trials and tribulations that that brought to life, but also put us where we are today. So um, everyone, Nicole. Thanks so much, Ryan. I appreciate you uh, trusting in me to share the Word of God in this series. Um, This morning I spoke, and it was interesting because it was a lot of people I don't know because I don't come to the Sunday morning service, and so tonight I see a lot of people I know, and I like it. It makes me warm and fuzzy. Um, So whenever I was first asked about speaking in this series, of love and translation, I really started to search myself and say, okay, Nicole, what do you know? How have you seen the love of God translated to the world in a real way? And what have you witnessed? And after talking in a teaching group and just kind of thinking about things a bit, the thing that kept on sticking out to me was hospitality. And I know, very stereotypical. I'm a Southern woman and I'm going to talk about hospitality. How great is that, right? But no, it's something that I do have a natural gifting in, but it is also something that I have seen um, throughout my life and been a witness to over the years through my parents and in their ministry. And before I start, I just want to pray tonight and ask you guys to open up your heart and your minds to hear the encouraging words that I'm going to give to you and also challenge yourself with what I'm going to say. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to speak to your children. We thank you that you are a good, good father and that you have good things for each and every one of us, Lord. I ask you that tonight as I speak that the words that I say are only what you want me to say. And the thoughts that I have in my head are the thoughts that you want to convey to your children a message, God. I ask you to bless it in your holy name. Amen. So, as Ryan was saying, growing up in a pastor's kid's home, I got to see a lot. Um, 
One thing that really annoyed me when I was little was how many people were always in our house. It was Grand Central Station was our joke growing up, um, it, myself and my one sister. There, the phone was always ringing, someone was always knocking at the door, our parents were getting calls in the middle of the night, you know, things going on. And a lot of it had to do with my parents felt like, you know, that was part of their ministry. Um, my mother is great in the gift of hospitality and people just love to be around her. Some of y'all have met her. She's a warm, holy, bubbling over with Jesus type person. And, but some of the people that I remember being around were a little odd. I remember around five years old, there was a lady that, no kidding, rode a bike in this little Southeast Texas town with a basket on the front of it. She was an older lady who honestly just scared me. I was five years old, and so I see a lady who's riding a bike in this dress, long hair. All I could think was Wicked Witch of the West from Wizard of Oz. You know, it was a very bratty thing to think, but as a five-year-old, you have these weird fears and things like that, and she would pop out at, say we're checking out at Winn-Dixie, and all of a sudden she would be like, hi, and I remember it's everywhere I looked, that lady was like running into us like two times a week. I, I almost wonder if she was like stalking my parents or something. But looking back, you know, there was a time at Christmas she didn't have a place to go. And so my family invited her over. And through that hospitality, she actually ended up coming to the Lord and joining the church and really making a huge transition in her life. There were other people that had, let's just say, maybe shady backgrounds. Um, Maybe they had just gotten out of jail or maybe they had been evicted from their home or any myriad of convictions. And my parents at at different times would welcome them into their home and, you know, counsel them and and try to feed them, not just, you know, food, but also feed them the good word of the Lord, as uh, the saying is. And that kind of scared me as well, because they'd be like, okay, we don't know these people, might want to lock your bedroom door if you're not in there. So maybe, you know, we don't know who they are. Um, And then there were the type people that would come in the car with my dad to dinner, and I'd look out and I'd see them driving up the the road, and I got so excited when I realized they were in the car with dad, because that meant they didn't have a car, aka as soon as dinner was over, dad would take them home. They would not be hanging out, they would not be visiting till nine o'clock at night, and you know, my parents, God love them, They're great ministers, but in their earlier part of their ministry, their boundary levels were not as good as they should be, so it was sometimes hard for them to kick the people out when really that's what they needed to do. It it really made for an exciting upbringing, I guess, to to look back and see some of the, the things that I witnessed. And this was radical hospitality that my parents were displaying. And as a child, I even was part of it. And... I remember asking my parents on different occasions, why are you spending so much time with these people? Why do you care? I mean, they're not, they're not even going to our church. You know, I, I thought that we want to build the church and get more people in the church. They're not even going to the church and you're spending so much time with them. That was also me saying, pay attention to me. I feel neglected. But I remember my parents saying that was just part of their call. That was a must, that they had to show the love of God to others, regardless of where they were in life. 
And this type radical hospitality really displays God's love in a tangible, tangible way. I want to talk to you about that tangible gift of hospitality, but before I go into it, I want us to understand some of the things the world has wrong about hospitality and how the church can maybe reshape the focus. This year in Great Britain, um, there was a minister of loneliness appointed. Now, this is a governmental role that was appointed to help individuals deal with the sad reality of modern life. This is a role that's been put in place because suicides are on the rise, loneliness is on the rise, people saying they're depressed and isolated is on the rise, feeling completely alone. The U.S. Surgeon General thinks that loneliness is a growing health epidemic that is on par coming right behind obesity. This is stuff people don't talk about. Um, There was a study that I read that talked to people, and 48% of the people that they spoke with said they had one confident person that they could really speak with and share their life with and share their heart with. That exact same study was done 25 years ago, and people said they had three people that they could really share their heart with and, and invest time with and confide in. And, you know, what's to blame? I don't know. Technology, we're all on our phones, we're all too busy, we're a go, go, go type 24 hours on. I'm not sure what is to blame, but it's a problem. And the church says that it has answers to the world's problems or that we should have answers to the world's problems, right? So why doesn't the church invest more in looking into hospitality and teaching on hospitality as perhaps an answer to loneliness and isolation? I think the church as a whole has become a bit confused about how we look at hospitality. Maybe our, our focus is a little bit fogged up. Our lens need to be cleaned. And the Bible is a great place to kind of get it back in order. For instance, in a scripture, Luke 14 and 13, Jesus is having a conversation with a Pharisee. He says, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, And you will be blessed, although they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. I love that Jesus is here at a party that he's been invited to, where they're eating and drinking and being merry. And he's calling them out and saying, you're doing a bad job at this. I just love that. He's saying, you know, thanks thanks for the food, but so long, you, you are not, you're missing the mark in what you're doing here. In this specific verse, John Newton, who is the songwriter for Amazing Grace, the gospel hymn from the 1700s, um, he has a wild testimony that you should look up if you've never heard of it before, of some of God's redeeming aspects in his life. He said in regards to that portion of scripture, Luke 14, you'll put the Luke 14 back up there. So he said, one would almost think that this passage was not considered part of God's word nor has any part of Jesus' teaching been more neglected by his own people. If this was a problem in the 1700s that John Newton was recognizing people were ignoring it, and now we're talking about governmental roles being created to help people deal with sadness and loneliness and depression and isolation, don't you think there's a disconnect somewhere that maybe the church needs to understand where we can fit into that. Hospitality is a a very key 
thing to Christian life. And I know we all want to learn and embrace it more. I think there's some disconnects we need to talk about, though. The first disconnect is really with the word hospitality. The Greek definition of hospitality is philoxenia, and that means love to strangers and a friend to stranger. We think of hospitality, especially here in Central Florida, maybe as an industry, the hospitality industry, with the hotels and the parks and all of that type stuff. Um, we also think of it as just entertaining and being like, welcome to my home, how are you doing? Sit down, here's a drink, I hope you enjoy your time. And our English definition kind of supports some of that. It says it's the friendly and generous reception and entertainment of guests, visitors, and strangers. Synonyms are friendliness, welcome, helpful, generosity, and food. I really love that food is a synonym for hospitality, so let's just put a pin there and just remember that. Um, but as far as being a lover to strangers and a friend to strangers, that goes against our human will. We don't like strangers. We don't like people who are different than us. Our, our human nature is fearful, and our society feeds into that fear, you know. Uh, at the airport, it's see something, say something. If anything is out of place, if anything seems weird or strange, we're supposed to talk about it. And that's our human will. Whether it was naturally in us or society has created that more in us, we as humans are very self-centered. The physical force of gravity pulls everything to the center of Earth, correct? And I think that we, each one of us, are the center of our own Earth, whether we want to admit it or not. And if we're not careful, we'll turn inward and we'll become more and more selfish. And, but we can push back. In Hebrews, Hebrews 13 and 2, it says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. I highlighted the term neglect there because I think the fact that the writer used that word says a lot. Hospitality can definitely be one of the first things we would neglect because it takes us out of our regular schedule. It takes us out of the things that we're doing in life. We're going, we're doing this, our friends, our this, that. It's easy to neglect. I have the gift of hospitality that is a generational blessing. And I still, as I was, as I was preparing for this, I was convicted. I was like, girl, when was the last time you just asked some rando to coffee to talk to them about their life? It's been a minute. And so I've neglected it. And so I think that we need to understand it's easy to neglect. And so we have to push back against it. We have to push back against that center of gravity that turns us inward to ourself. Another misconception is that entertaining and hospitality has to be Pinterest perfect. Any of you ladies have Pinterest? Some of you gentlemen too, too. You're all lying right now. You're not even giving me anything, I know. And yes, thank you, Heather. Yes, exactly. So a lot of us think that whenever we get a group of people together that it needs to be just like so on point that it needs to be Pinterest perfect. Our home needs to be immaculate. We need to have the right tablescape and all this type stuff. 
But that's not really the case. You know, entertainment and hospitality do look a lot alike in most situations, but it comes from the motives that are underneath that um, and where the intentions are. Are you looking to try to build yourself up and say, look at me, I look so good? Or are you doing it just from a, a, a place of your heart of love to look and point towards God? As a three on the Enneagram, that means that I am an achiever. I want to be the best at everything. And I want people to come to my dinner parties or get togethers and talk about, man, Nicole really cooked a good meal. That tablescape, her playlist was on a point. It was just really nice. It smelled good, those candles. Yes, must be Yankee candles. And so I have to be careful myself whenever I'm doing that. Um, and then another place that I think we kind of get confused with hospitality is in the church, which with the church, it should be a given that we are supposed to be hospitable to the outsiders. But the issue is, I see quite often, is we limit it to a specific ministry or a specific person, a specific time, and say, you know, that's their gifting, they're gonna go after it, and that's, that's it. We don't all have to join in. We say, we put, we put too much attention on certain giftings, and we say, you know, Daniel has the gift of faith, and he is gonna pray, and he's gonna seek the face of the Lord, and he's gonna believe for miracles to happen in our church. And then we say, Ryan has a gift of teaching, and so we just all wanna sit there and listen to Ryan teach about the, the board and all these revelations. And then we say, you know, uh, Jennifer Neesmith and, and Charity, they have so much hospitality for, for all of us that we don't even need to pick up the mantle of hospitality because they've got it, they've already handled that. And really, it can't be like that. I'll call Charity out, I did earlier, and I still think it's a valuable thing to say. On my second visit here, whenever I first started attending, and I was church shopping, I was church shopping, I was looking for a home, a community. She asked me, she said, hey, I'd love for you to come over to my house and just have dinner and get to know each other. And I was like, okay, where is this? And she told me, and I was like, I don't know where that is because I just moved here, but okay, um, you know, you don't know me from Adam, but I appreciate that. And that love of hospitality was the starting point of getting me grounded in this church as my church family. I think we can have all of these gifts and they are all so important, but if we don't have love for one another, then doesn't scripture say we're just all noisy? We're just all a bunch of resounding cymbals and clangs and noisy people with all their gifts here and there. And I think that we're called to more than that. The key verse of this series, Love and Translation, is 1 Thessalonians 2 and 8. It says, we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Whenever you look at hospitality through the lens of this scripture, which is the main scripture for our series, I think it puts it in perspective that of course we would want to show and share hospitality with people because we have been given, we have been recipients of the greatest hospitality story that ever was because God sent his son to humanity 
to die for us and to welcome us into his, into his family. It's the greatest hospitality story that's ever been told. And this story that's being told and is continuing to be told is not just about sharing a spare room or sharing a meal or sharing a conversation. It's about sharing a part of your life with other people. So if we wanna embrace hospitality, and it all sounds good, I know what I'm saying sounds good and fluffy and sweet, but the real question is why? Why should we do it? Is there you know, a biblical command that says, you, thou shalt do this. Not so much, but there are points throughout scripture that really highlight hospitality that our Father God says it's important for us to activate hospitality in our lives so we can become conduits of the gospel. When we activate hospitality in our lives, we become conduits of the gospel. That means we get to join Jesus in his mission to save the world. The gospel can flow through us through hospitality. And it's amazing to think that's even a possibility. There's a couple scriptures I wanna point out here to you guys, if you'll let me read them to you. Um, I like to look at them kind of like holy breadcrumbs that are all throughout scripture. And this is just a couple of them. Um, from Genesis to Revelation, there's stories of life and hospitality and feasting. First one is Genesis 18, four through six. It says, let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way. Now that you have come to your servant, very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seahs of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. All right, so we're gonna have some fresh bread, some more food. We like that, right? You know, that story is called the hospitality of Abraham. It is a key story in the Old Testament that is Abraham possibly having interaction with the representation of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but especially with the representation of Jesus Christ incarnate. And in that moment, he showed them hospitality and they celebrated and they ate together and broke bread. The next one I wanna talk about is in Exodus 24, one and 11. This is a very special moment in scripture. It's whenever an agreement, it's a covenant, but in our words, it's an agreement is made between the Lord and the children of Israel saying that you are gonna be our God and we are gonna be your children. We have been hellions and have been out here in the desert losing our mind, but this is it, we're on for you. And it says, then the Lord said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abuhu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and then what they do? They ate and drank. And that's just another example of holy hospitality where you're eating and drinking in a very holy moment. I'll go on to 2 Kings 4 and 8. This is the story of the Shunammite woman and Elisha, um, one that you guys might be familiar with. If not, I would in really encourage you to read more on it. It says, one day Elisha went to Shunam and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So for whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. Another version says anytime he was in town, he urged her, she urged him to eat some of her food. So she was a food pusher, 
which I um, really recognize because my mother's a food pusher and I have found that I'm turning into my mother and I'm a food pusher. But in this, the Shunammite woman ended up being blessed through her hospitality. That's not why she did it. But later on in scripture, you realize what a blessing she gets in life. She even gets to have a child due to the hospitality that she showed Elisha. And then we have Jesus. His whole ministry is all about hospitality. He even was a recipient of hospitality. It says the son of man had no place to rest his head. So he was going on the goodness of other people. The first story is Zacchaeus, whenever Jesus is coming in to the city and Zacchaeus, who is this sinner, nobody likes him. Everyone talks bad about him. He just, you couldn't find someone who liked him. I'm sure all of us can think of some one person that just everybody does not like. And, but he wanted to see Jesus. He had heard about this Jesus of Nazareth that was coming in town. And so he was a little dude. And so he climbed up into a tree. And as Jesus was passing, Jesus honed in on this guy, pointed up at him and said, Zacchaeus, come down. We're going to your house. We're going to party. We're going to eat together. We're going we're gonna to break bread. We're going to talk. We're going to become friends. And this was a moment that Jesus showed great hospitality to Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus in turn showed great love and admiration and gave his heart to the Lord. Then we can talk about the places where, (laughs) excuse me, uh, all of the different sinners that Jesus uh, interacted with. He got to be, have a little bit of a, uh, a stereotype of being a party animal. People were talking about, he's out here with, with these folks who were strangers and weird and the ones that he shouldn't be with, but he was out there and he didn't care. He was with the others, the ones that others neglected. Then we look at the feeding of the 5,000. It was pretty much uh, a sack lunch and Jesus just fed everybody and had a good time. And that's another beautiful example of these holy breadcrumbs that are leading up to something greater, that are pointing to something greater with our God. I'll read this scripture right here real quick. I'll try to. It's Matthew 25, 35 through 40. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous answered him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did you see, we see you as a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? Then the king replied, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. It's not a fluke, y'all. It's not a fluke that all of these scripture references about being with strangers and feeding and, and being hospitable to people who maybe others think aren't worthy of honor It's a foundation of our Christian heritage. It's a heritage that is so great. And that heritage comes from hospitality. Ephesians 2.19 says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. So we were once strangers. We were once foreigners. And the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, welcomed us into his family. That's 
the greatest story of hospitality there has ever been. And we are still recipients of that. We are still working through being ambassadors for Christ and coming from his household. And we get the great chance to represent God to the world around us. Or as I like to say, when we love well, we represent who God is to the world around us. And that is such an honor. You know, we have to work to be active in this. Like I said, it's very easy to neglect hospitality, even with someone like me who it allegedly comes easily to. It is very easy to neglect it. But if we are intentional about it, we will realize that hospitality is an active spiritual initiative that displays the heart of God. I love that by being hospitable to people that we get to display the heart of God because that's what hospitality is. It displays the heart of our Father for us all to be included in his story and everything that we do and everything we tell. But whenever we display the heart of God, if we don't continue to point people back to the heart of God, then we're just being morally kind people. If we're being really nice and saying, hey, come have coffee with me, let's talk about life. Hey, I wanna have you at my house. You know, that's, that's join together and, you know, get on a text thread, whatever, however you wanna do it. But then you end up leaving people with no answers. They're still in their pain. They're still in their suffering. They're still in their sin, in their isolation and in their fear then you're just being morally kind. You're just being Martha Stewart. You're doing it for the wrong reasons. I'm not saying that doing all those things are bad, but I'm just saying there's a better way. And the better way is doing it from the heart of God. As part of the family of God, we have to listen to our Father. And that's one of the other reasons that we need to practice hospitality. Our father says so, daddy says so. So in Leviticus 19, 34, it says, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you, you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Now we can all let this scripture kind of sink in a little bit. Take it as you will. But the key thing I want to point out here is it says, I am the Lord your God. That phrase in the Hebrew basically is God's version of saying, because I said so. I'm the Lord your God because I said so. You're going to do all this stuff I just mentioned because I said so. It is mentioned dozens of times throughout scripture and one of the most famous areas, in my opinion, is right before the opening of the Ten Commandments. God is talking to Moses and he says, for I am the Lord your God. And then he gives him the list of the Ten Commandments. So for this past scripture to end with, for I am the Lord your God, saying you better treat people nice, you better love on people who need you, that's a parental thing of God saying, do it because I said so please. And then you go to 1 Peter 4 and 9, and there's another very hospitable 
uh, parental phrase that he says. He says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now that can be a little bit difficult. Um, Grumbling is something that I think is kind of just natural in a lot of us. Um, But tonight I want to challenge you through an experience um, with some out of the ordinary community time, if you would. I would like you guys to reach out and have community time and follow these three questions. Try to talk to someone you haven't talked to very much. Maybe you haven't talked to at all. I know we're a small congregation, but seek out someone that you don't know very well and ask them these three questions. What is your name? How did you learn about City Beautiful Church? And how have you accepted or extended hospitality in the past month? Okay. together. I'm so proud of y'all talking to people that you don't normally talk with, getting to know each other a little bit better. Thank y'all. I may have heard a little grumbling, like maybe over here, but it wasn't much. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. Um, 
some of us have to work harder at this thing of hospitality. And then some of us have the spiritual gifting. And there will always be a thousand excuses. There will be the excuse of, I'm too shy. I'm introverted. I don't have a big enough house. I don't have enough money. I don't like people. (laughs) There will always be some type of excuse. But the truth is, Scripture says we're supposed to deny ourselves and take on Christ and pick up His cross. And so, yes, we may have these individual things that, you know, uh, make our idea of hospitality a little bit different. But what I love is that hospitality is a universal command that is uniquely applied. So the way you're gonna do hospitality compared to how I'll do hospitality, compared to how you'll do hospitality, it's gonna all be a little different and that's totally fine as long as we're doing it. You know, these are a couple things that I wanna mention that are very practical ways that we can do hospitality. Here in the church, we can practice hospitality. Literally, Romans 12 says to practice hospitality. So greeting and welcoming people that you don't know well or who are on the fringes or who are new to the community, this counts. The definition of practice means a repeated exercise in or performance of an activity or skill so as to acquire or maintain proficiency in it. So the easy work of hospitality starts right here. It starts right here in these four walls. And if we can get that down, then the hospitality in other ways is gonna just come much easier as we practice, because practice really makes perfect. And maybe some of that grumbling that Peter was talking about and that maybe I heard, I'm just kidding, I didn't really hear any grumbling, but maybe it will eventually go away with enough practice. And then at home, we can practice hospitality. It does not have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be weird and all versy. It doesn't have to be that sit around and tell our whole stories in our hearts and just, you know, pontificate to each other about what God is doing in our life or what he's not. It doesn't have to be like that. It's just being together. It's people coming from all backgrounds. It is an idea of acceptance without endorsement. I don't know where you are, but I accept you because I honor you as a child of God. And you know, it doesn't have to be a big house. I had a 475 square foot apartment, studio apartment in Washington DC when I lived there. And whenever I first moved in, I was like, I'm never gonna be able to have anyone over. This is awful, because it's so tiny. And then I realized that's an excuse. Yeah, you can. I ended up having 13 or 14 people in my house at least five different times. We had a rooftop, so that was cool. We could go in and out. But it was just to get together and to, to love on each other and, and do nothing and just be together. Uh, there's a quote that says, hospitality means primarily the creation of free space where the stranger can enter and become a friend instead of an enemy. Hospitality is not to change people, but instead to offer them a space where change can take place. My mom likes to say it like this, treat family like guests, and guest is family, because then everybody gets treated well. And that's something that I've tried to enact in my life going forward. And I hope that you guys are able to, to, to put on a different pair of glasses and look at it in a different way. We can also in our daily life 
tell our, the story of Jesus with all that we are to be hospitable, we have to be willing to be interruptible. We have to be willing to stop what we're doing and take a moment to be hospitable to someone. We have to be like Jesus, who was the most interruptible dude you've ever read about. He is always on his way going somewhere, and then someone stopping him and asking him for something else. A perfect example is whenever he's going to, to pray for Jairus' daughter, who is dying on her deathbed, ends up dying, a woman stops him and grabs him by the cloak and says, Father, Father, you know, pray for me. I'm paraphrasing what the verse says, but it's the lady with the issue of blood. And he stops what he's doing and he doesn't look at her and says, I'm sorry, you know, we're busy, we're on our way. He stops and he prays for her and he says, you have been made whole. I see you there and you have been made whole. He was willing to be interrupted and we have to be like that too. Be willing to let our schedule get a little messed up, to spend a little more extra time with someone we don't know, and to, to show the love of God to a few people. And then, you know, there's variations of hospitality that I was talking about. It suits each one of us a little bit different depending on our personalities. There's one-on-one -on -one hospitality, which is really great for you introverts, you know, kind of like me, an introvert. It's really good that you can have long-term hospitality with one person. It doesn't have to be a big group thing. You can really invest in a relationship with someone and leading them to the heart of God. It can be a volunteering ability, going to a shelter or finding out about um, a shelter where there's a lot of homeless kids. There's one here called Covenant House and I've went and worked with them a couple times. It's, it's teenagers who are all runaways and they're all homeless and they just want somebody to talk to and maybe take them skating sometime or to barbecue, things like that. That's being hospitable. Just having coffee with someone not expecting anything else from them except just to share your story together. Just being an ear to hear, listening to the discernment that God has placed in you, this divine hospitality that He wants to well up inside of you. You can't mess it up, y'all. You cannot mess it up. You just have to do it. Because when you open your life and your home with gospel intentionality, it is a way to join God in His mission to save the world. What an honor to join a king in his mission to save the world. If you want to join on this mission, I ask you to pray with me right now before we close. And if you'd like to pray with someone else, I'm sure there might be someone in the back who would pray with you or I'd even pray with you. If you have the desire to be more hospitable and you ask the Lord to, to give you that gifting and, and give you that ability, let's pray together. Dear Lord, we are so thankful for your hospitable nature. The hospitable nature that you have put inside of each of one of us. The hospitable nature that makes us honor each other and love each other because we are all children of the Lord of the Most High. I ask you that in our daily life, you, you reveal situations and opportunities for us to be hospitable to your children, God. And we ask you that as we do this, you continue to help us point others to you and to your heart. Because that's what it's all about, the heart of the Father. 
that's what we pray for, that we have the heart of the Father. In your name we pray, Lord. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.